Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us, gathering with us to worship our risen King, celebrate the truth that Jesus came back from the dead. One of my favorite things that happened this week was when I was telling my daughter about that truth. She's almost three years old. Her name is Lucy. And I was telling her that Jesus came back from the, back from the dead, and that's what Easter is all about. That's why we celebrate this Sunday. And I loved her response because you could see just her wheels turning uh, in her mind. And, and she generated this question. I loved her question. And she said, is lizard back from the dead then? And you might be thinking, oh, she's talking about her pet lizard. <clears throat> but and she's not. She's talking about her pet ladybug that she named lizard, which I love. It's kind of a fake out on her end, which I love. Super creative move. She has been gathering all kinds of wildlife during our quarantine days. She has had Marlin the moth and lizard the ladybug, none of whom are still with us now. And uh, I don't know what the life stage is for a ladybug, but it, I know it decreases dramatically when a two or three year old owns that creature. And so she refused to put lady, uh, Lizard into his or her cage. And, uh, and so she held him and took care of him and we had to send him on at the end of that day because he was no longer with us. And so this was what was going through Lucy's mind when she heard that Jesus came back from the dead. She was wondering, well, what else is possible? And I love that, that uh, the thought that came into her mind, that she, that's where she went with that, is that she wanted to know what are the implications of this truth that Jesus is back from the dead. I think it's a good question. I think a lot of times we don't really deal with the truth that Jesus came back from the dead. If we're, if we're not kind of in it every week, or you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're not connected to a church family, or maybe even in the midst of being, you know, belonging to God's people, this truth has somehow escaped you. And, 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 and for, for one day, maybe this one day, you'll deal with the truth that Jesus came back from the dead. Maybe you try to keep, keep it contained to this day, but I wanna, I wanna let that truth come to bear on our moment as it is today, Easter, the day we celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead. And what I know is on the other side of the screen, there, there are, there's a ton of diversity. There's a diversity in ages and uh, a di diversity in jobs and a diversity in races and genders and uh, where you're at this mo in this moment, just in all kinds of ways. I mean, and specifically, geographically, you're spread out. Because of social, social distancing, you have to be. And, uh, and so it's not just where you're at uh, geographically or any of these other way, ways that I know that there's diversity. I know there's also diversity in where you're at spiritually, how you're coming into this moment. And so maybe you're here because, you, man, you want to celebrate the risen king and, and you want to remember that truth and join in with the body of people doing that. Or maybe you're here because your spouse wants you to be here or because your family member said, hey, let's watch this together and you felt too awkward to sit out. And so I, regardless of how you're coming into this or how, why you're engaging with this, I know that God wants to speak to you today. I think that's why you're listening to this. I think that's why you're engaging this. And so I just want to give you a moment right now to actually do this. Ask God what he wants to say to you this morning. I'm a limited, I have limited capacity as a communicator. I'm going to do my best to try to get God's word to you, but I know that I'm limited in that. And so would you take a moment and just ask God what he wants to say to you this morning? If you've been waiting, actually do it now. Just, it's not hard. Just close your eyes or keep them open. Just talk to God in, in your mind or with your mouth. Just ask him, God, what do you have for me this morning? What do you want to say to my heart? Father, thank you for this uh, moment, this moment that I get to deliver my favorite news, the best of news in all the universe that I get to do this. What a privilege. Would you use me in ways that are so much bigger than me, that multiply way beyond me? Would you use your Holy, Holy Spirit? Would you use this moment in people's lives? Would you meet them right where they are? 
convince them of the truth of Jesus' resurrection and the implications that it has on their lives. It's in Jesus' powerful, strong, resurrected name that I pray. Amen. All right, so th- yeah, this is what I get to do this morning is herald the truth. It is such a privilege to get to do this. I get to tell you that Jesus is alive. He is alive. And then I want to help you see that there's implications for what you do with that truth, okay? There's implications. And, and if this is true, then it's going to be true tomorrow, and it's going to be true when coronavirus goes away. It's going to be true if another pandemic sweeps throughout the earth. It's going to be true how long, no matter how long it takes for the economy to recover. It's going to be true. If it's true, then it's always true. All right, so let's engage with this, and and I want to just proclaim to you that Jesus is alive, that there are implications for for that truth on your life, okay? So I want you to see why it matters, how do we know it's true, and what what does it look like to believe it, okay? That's how we're going to move through this quickly, and I want to move through it with a a pretty good pace, okay? So why why does the resurrection matter? Because some people, they they would just say, hey, I'm, I'm content to just take the things that Jesus taught. He was a really good teacher, really good guy, really nice. And uh, I don't have any beef with Jesus. I just don't feel the need to, to believe that he came back from the dead. I can just take his teachings, and that's enough for me. And the problem with that is that the Bible just disagrees with you fundamentally. The, the scriptures themselves would tell you that if it's not true that Jesus is alive, that he came back from the dead, then you should throw everything else out too. That's, this, everything is going to hinge on this truth of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 14 through 19 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. You keep going, he says, uh, if, Christ, if, in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if we aren't resurrected with Jesus because he's been resurrected, it says, then we are of all people most to be pitied. You should be embarrassed for me. If this isn't true, then the way that I live my life, the way that I engage with God's word, the way that I obey Jesus's commands should be a joke if it's not true. So if it isn't true, then why even bother with any of the ethical standards that Jesus sets out? If he's just a good teacher, there's a lot of other good teachers. And do we even know that God is real if, if Jesus isn't brought back from the dead? So the, the, the ethical shifts, I want you to see this in Jesus. Even if you're just following Jesus around, the ethical standards that he sets out are not the main mission that he is on. He is showing us a different way how our hearts are missing uh, the truth of God's commands. But that's not all he's doing. He wasn't on an instructional mission. He was on a rescue mission. And so you might think, okay, well, that's cool for you. You, you, know, that you can have that. You can engage with the Bible. I'm just trying to live my life, and so don't put that on me. Uh, why are you trying to convince me about Jesus' resurrection? And I think in our culture today, there's a way of thinking today that it, it basically makes it, makes it offensive for me to imply that my belief, that you should have to deal with my belief about Jesus' resurrection, that, that, that people around God's church should have to deal with their conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead, their belief in this. And so it's offensive in our culture, in our day, to, to imply that you should have to deal with my belief. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to risk today is the offense of saying you should deal with this. I believe Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and I think you should deal with that. And that's what the Bible says. Uh, Acts 17, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was preaching to a group of highly intellectual, highly uh, in- intelligent people in-, in Greece, a place called Mars Hill. And, uh, and he says this in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. No matter who you are, God's telling you to change your life, change the course of your life. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what is this? What are the scriptures saying? Judgment is coming. You should change the course of your life. You should reorient your life around something else because judgment is coming. And God's going to judge the world in righteousness, not by your performance, not by your intellect, not by all of the good things that you are able to accomplish, not by your race or your social status or your family name. He's not going to judge you by any of those things. It will be based on your reaction, your engagement with a man. By a man, you will be judged. You will be judged and defined by your righteousness according to Jesus. And so your trust or lack of trust in a person is the defining point of your life. And the Bible says this has implications on you. Your existence is at stake in the assurance that you have that this is true. The reason why you should be flagged down by this and aware and, and make Jesus the focal point of your life, not just a thing that you do a few days of the year. The reason why is because it says you have assurance that Jesus is the lin linchpin of your eternal destiny. That's what he's saying is that he's been resurrected from the dead. He's given assurance. God's assured you that you should make Jesus the focal point of your life because he brought him back from the dead. And so how can we then know? So the resurrection becomes a very critical component of our life and our faith in Jesus. Okay? You can't, can't really extract that out or minimize that out. And you, there's not really a person on earth who this doesn't have implications for. So we've got to deal with the resurrection. Do you see that the resurrection has implications for you? Okay? And so the, the, how, do we, how can we know that the resurrection really happened? And so the Bible is going to give us this thing. It's going to give us witnesses that serve as a window. Witnesses that serve as a window into that moment. And so uh, you might even ask, like, man, well, I wish God maybe he could have slowed things down or, or developed technology in such a way that we could have video uh, proof of Jesus's resurrection. I'm actually really, this is one of the kind of like biggest griefs about my own wedding days that we didn't have a video of it. I, I, my wife put that in my court and she was like, hey, if you want to have a video, get on it. And I like just totally whiffed on that. And it was really sad to me. And looking back, so I was like, man, I'd love to see a video of it. You know, um, but what was there that was not a video were, were witnesses. And, and this is what's interesting about video to me, even today, is that deep fakes, if you've heard of a deep fake, those are an increasing, uh, increasingly big problem in our world because people can manipulate and tamper with video in such a way to make it look like so-and-so said this or this really happened and it didn't really happen. It's false. It's not true. And so this is what's unique is that God's Word gives us a window into the resurrection through witnesses. And what I'm going to do is in John chapter 20, take you through a series of those witnesses and, and let you see what they have to say about Jesus' resurrection. All right, we've been tracing through the book of John, beholding and hoping that people would believe in Jesus. Behold and believe. Behold, look at, see him, and believe in him. Okay? And so uh, just, just contextually, 
John chapter 20 comes after John chapter 19 in which Jesus died. And so there is no resurrection if Jesus isn't actually dead. That's one of the theories is that Jesus wasn't actually dead, which is a pretty hilarious uh, series of uh, like the, the, the leaps of faith that are required to believe that Jesus wasn't actually dead are just as big, if not bigger. They're kind of crazy, honestly. And so one of the reasons why we can believe that he was actually dead is what John 19 tells us, which is that there was somebody there who witnessed the fact that um, Jesus, that he didn't have his legs broken like the other uh, guys who were crucified next to him. He had a spear shoved into his side and out from his side poured blood and water. And so scientifically, physiologically speaking, that's going to be a, a, a helpful proof that Jesus was dead. His body was dead. He wasn't almost dead. He wasn't really sleepy. He was dead. And so then we pick up in John chapter 20, a dead Jesus put into a tomb. Verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, so John chapter 20, verse 1, so if you haven't gotten there, you can get there now. Okay, sorry. John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's way, John's way of describing himself, which, I, which is awesome. And, he said, and, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so here's what's interesting about Mary's testimony here as a witness, is that her first reaction is not, the, 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 the tomb is open, the, tomb is, the, the, the stones rolled back, so he must have been raised from the dead. That's not what she, she goes to initially. What she says is, what she assumes is that he was taken out, that her, his grave had been robbed. Which is a huge problem in that day and age. Grave robbery was a big deal. It was made a capital offense later on because it was such a big deal. People were doing it so frequently. And so what's interesting to me is, first of all, that she didn't assume that he was resurrected. But second of all, that it's Mary's initial testimony. She, she eventually is the one who sees Jesus first, the resurrected Jesus. And in every gospel account, the consi one consistent theme of all of them is that women are the one who are testifying about Jesus, his resurrection first. It's their witness that is accounted for first. And so that's crazy because if you're trying to just build out a credible account in the ancient world, not give a historical account, but try to manufacture something, you would not do that. And the reason why is because in that day and age, women's testimony wasn't even admissible in court. Now, that's a mistake culturally. It was a misogynistic culture. It was like really messed up, obviously. But uh, just for our context... This is not something you would do. There's no reason for giving this account unless it's what happened. And so what we have here is a, is a helpful, accurate, historical account. It's not a story that somebody's trying to tell to get you to believe something. It's a truthful account that somebody's giving so that you would believe something. And we go on to see that Mary, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the, to the disciples after, after she had interacted and engaged with Jesus she at first didn't recognize him, then she sees that it's him, and she just, she falls down. She's just so overwhelmed with joy that, uh, that Jesus is not dead. She, 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 and he, Jesus sends her back to tell the other disciples, tell them, tell them I'm alive, and she goes and she testifies. She says, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her, the things that he told her. And so that's the first witness that we have is Mary. And then you keep reading in John chapter 20, verse 3. It says, so, so Peter, it's after Mary came back and said, hey, they took him out of the tomb. Uh, verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, this sort of sprint to the tomb. And uh, it says, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John's like, 
and I was so fast. And it's like such a funny fact that John puts in. He's like, and he was, I was just blazing fast, beat Peter slow uh, to the tomb. And, uh, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. It's like, and Peter was slow, but he was bold because it says, and he went into the tomb. So this is something they had to stoop down. They had to bend down to look into. So, so Peter just barrels into it. He says, I'm going in. He went into him and he says, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Now, there's like so much that we could talk about with this, with the linen cloths and um, some really fascinating things. But what I want you to see, just for the, for the sake of hearing the witness of this testimony, is that the word saw there, when he went in and he saw, they saw these things. It's not just they observed it with their eyes and they took in things with their eyes. It was they were seen and they were trying to understand. The word we get from this, word, the word that's being translated there, the word we get from it is theorize. We're trying to understand here. These were thinking people. They were looking at a scene one which they had already been told ahead of time, Jesus was stolen out of there. And so they come in there thinking, Jesus was stolen. But then they see what's happened in the tomb, and they realize it couldn't have been that he was stolen. The linen cloths are still lying there. This is not the work of grave robbers. Those are expensive cloths. Those, those are things that they would take with them. That's the reason why they're going into a tomb to begin with. And it isn't the other disciples. They wouldn't have taken Jesus out naked in, in a way that would be, have been shameful. So it's not other disciples. And it certainly wasn't Jewish authorities. They were spending all of their energy and effort trying, that if, if they could have produced the body of Jesus, that it would shut down this entire cult as far as they were concerned, this sect of people that were believing something that they thought was nonsense. If they could have produced the body, which they would have done. So it wasn't the Jewish authorities. It wasn't grave robbers. It wasn't other disciples. And so John testifies here. He sees this, and his mind's working, and he sees, and he believes in the resurrection. But what's fascinating, verse 9, it says, For as they yet did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. He doesn't even have a category for this. He's like, I, I see this, and I believe, but I don't even understand why I should be believing that Jesus is, is risen from the dead. They don't understand that that should be happening. There's other messianic pretenders of that day. There's other people saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. You should follow me. They, they create an uprising, and then they get killed. And you know what nobody else is saying? They came back from the dead. Why? Because it was not even an argument that they would have thought to make. They didn't think that that was the solution. It didn't fit with their worldview. It wasn't what they were expecting. But John saw an empty tomb, and he believed. And so then you come to another witness. You have Mary, then you have John. Peter's involved in that, but it's not the same way. And then you have Thomas, okay? And so come to verse 24, John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So, so you have this moment where all the disciples are in this room, locked in there, the first evening of Easter. So later on that day, he's in a, all the disciples are in a room, and they see Jesus comes in through a locked door. I would love to talk for a long time about how fascinating that is and what that means for us. But what means for us in our resurrected bodies. But just for the sake of Thomas's witness here, tr go with me. Thomas, he wasn't there. So there was 12 minus Judas and then minus Thomas. There's 10 guys in this room. Jesus shows up. 
And then Thomas comes back, wherever he was at, he comes back and they're like, we've seen the Lord. And here's what he says. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He looks at these guys who he's been walking with for years and said, I put my whole life into following this man. Everything I am is based on him. And I watched him get tortured and crucified and put into a tomb. I don't have the emotional capacity to risk even a glimmer of hope that he would be back from the dead. I'm not going to go there with you. I'm not going to go there with you. Not unless I can see him. Not unless I can touch him. I need to know that this isn't just some story you're making up, some feeling that you have. He wasn't willing to receive the testimony of the disciples, and I don't blame him entirely for that. Um, and, but I do think it's to our benefit that he didn't because, because we're going to see something in John uh, 20, 26, which it, it says eight days later, so it's a week later, basically, from uh, the resurrection itself. The way that it plays out, timing-wise, it would have been like the Sunday after Easter or the next day. And it says his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This time he was there. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, which the first time they were just totally terrified. And and so he says, Peace be with you. So Jesus is there. Thomas is now there too. And he doesn't look at anybody else. It says, then he he said to Thomas, Thomas, I know. The one who who, who he knows wasn't there, who he knows needs to see him. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas's response, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, which is one of, this, one of the great kind of confessions of the scriptures where we see one of Jesus' disciples go from unbelief to belief. But what his belief in is not just that Jesus is some guy who was close to being dead and is now alive again. He believes that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, God himself. He says, my Lord and my God. What's crazy about that statement is that it's entirely anti-Jew for him to see God as a person in that way. There was no category for that either. Jewish teachers of the day wouldn't have even spelled out or articulated the name of God, much less ascribed Godhood to a person. What Thomas is not saying is, oh, now all the things we had hoped would happen are happening. God is a person. No, he says, you are the resurrection. You've been resurrected. You are not just a man. You are God himself. And so you know what Jesus responds with? He doesn't respond with, no, no, I was was just kind of close to being dead. Don't, Don't like stake everything on me. Jesus said to him in verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you if you're a follower of Jesus today. That's me. That's us. And John goes on to tell us, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. He says, the book of, This book I've written, it's not everything. He did more than that. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why does it matter that you believe in him, that he's the Christ, the Son of God? And that by believing, you may have life 
in his name. That's why John wrote this down, because though you weren't there to see it, he wanted to give you a testimony, a witness to it, a window into the resurrection itself so that you could know Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who he said he is. He is the focal point of all of creation. He is the one on whom everything hinges and his resurrection, the thing you needed to know happened, it happened. You can believe it. Now that belief, that faith in a resurrected Jesus It's an impossible thing on one hand. It's not the work of human intellect. It's not just getting enough facts that's going to help you get there. There is a sense in which you need an encounter with the resurrected Christ. You need God's Spirit to work in you to give you a belief in Him. And so that's what I'm banking on today is if God's at work in you to use even this limited proclamation of this truth that if somehow there's some wall falling down in your life um, of disbelief, that that is God's Spirit at work in you and you should be encouraged today. Now, there is a debate over whether this is written to unbelievers, people who have never trusted in Jesus, or, or, or believers, people who, have, who are ju- he's just trying to encourage in their faith. And here's what I'll tell you. If you are somebody who has not trusted in Jesus ever, I will tell you, then today, this is for you. This is for you. I believe John wrote this in such a way that you can, if you have never trusted in Christ, trust in him today. But if you are a follower of Jesus and maybe your faith is just waning, I'm telling you that this is for you today that God's word can reach you right where you are to help you continue trusting in Jesus. It wasn't a one-time thing back when you were a junior high kid at some camp that God is going to measure. It's an ongoing trust that he wants you to have a anchored trust. And so what does it even mean to, to believe in Jesus? What is that word? That's how we're going to come to a close here is helping you understand what does it mean for you to believe in Jesus, to believe in the truth of his resurrection and see him for who he is. I'll tell you this, this is an illustration I heard that I thought was super helpful to, to grab and wrap your mind around this. In World War One, if you know anything about World War One, then, then you know that there was a ton of trench warfare that was uh, being fought. It was how, how that war was being waged in a lot of ways was with trench warfare. People would dig trenches, and uh, the battlefield would be in the middle, and, and opposing armies would be hidden behind these trenches, a place where they could stay safe. And uh, the, the reality is, is the trenches uh, were not tall enough necessarily for you to stand up fully. But if you did stand up fully, you would be exposed. And in being exposed, enemy bullets would be coming straight at your head. And so for months and months, these guys would walk around hunched over because that was how they could stay safe. And so once, or finally, towards the end of the war, over the radio, uh, at the end of the war, over the radio, news came and said, hey, victory is ours. Uh, the, The war is over. You're safe. It's done. It's been finished. And, uh, you know, everybody cheered and they were so excited but maybe there was something lurking in the back of their mind. Is that true? And you could tell who believed the news that came over the radio. They could, you could tell who believed it, who actually trusted that news. They stood up. Because until you actually stood up and you put your trust not in the trench that was in front of you, but in the news that you have received that the war is over, then you didn't actually believe it. You didn't actually trust it. That word believe... It's always used to believe into something. And I think the best way of talking about it, describing it, is trusting a whole life trust. All of your trust to secure your hope is in Jesus. That's what, that's what John wants for you. And so what are you supposed to do about it today? It, trust in Jesus. What does that look like? I'd say start small. What is making you feel secure today? What is your security in? And you can tell what's making you feel secure because whenever that's removed, you feel insecure. 
Maybe it's wealth, your economic well-being, or your health, your physical well-being is being threatened. Maybe it's your religious performance and you fail religiously. You fail to do, uh, maybe it's you fail to obey God in some way. You sinned in some way. You broke God's law, and so now your religious performance is unhealthy. And so, or maybe it's your reputation with other people, your approval from them that gives you security. And so you can tell what you're feeling secure in. You can tell what you're trusting in, what you are banking on by this, uh, by, by what makes you feel un- insecure, what makes you feel defensive. That's probably what you're securing your hope in. That's probably the thing you're trusting in. And so I just want to convince you and tell you and may God's Spirit convince you today that Jesus is the only one you should trust in. He has given you a new meaning, significance, and security through his finished work on the cross. All of your debt has been paid. Your standing is approved and secure with God. And, and I, I just want to close by telling you that John, the one who wrote this, he would actually get to see Jesus again. He would see Jesus again the way that we will see him when he returns. And he described it this way. He says, when I, this is in Revelation 1, chapter 17 and 18. When I saw him, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, when he's coming back, he's going to look like this. Um, or, or when I, he, he, said, he describes him, he's like his hair was all white, his, his, uh, his eyes were on fire, his voice was like the sound of many waters, and then it says this in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's your resurrected king. That's the one you're trusting in. He died, but he didn't stay dead. And now he's got the keys. So I don't know if things are ever going to get back to normal. I don't know if they are. But I'm, I want to ask you and encourage you to not put your hope in normal. Don't look for things getting back to something. Let's not pretend that if we could just get back to some time before this, then then we would be happy. You were discontent then. You'll be discontent in the future unless you anchor your hope in something better. This risen king with fire in his eyes, keys of death and Hades. He's calling you to trust in him today. One day you're going to stand before God. You're going to give an account. What God's word is telling you today is don't bank on anything other than Jesus. With John, with me, with your church body. If you're not a part of this church, then with us, join us in today in believing, trusting in the risen king. Love you, church.